One in Three is intended for mature audiences. Episodes contain explicit content and may be triggering as they often include violence and other varying forms of abuse such as emotional, psychological, sexual, and physical. In most cases, names have been changed to protect all involved. Please note, statements and opinions of guests do not necessarily reflect those of my own. Hi, Warriors. Welcome to One in Three. I'm your host, Ingrid. In my last episode, I began telling you the story of Shelley Notek. Today, I'm going to expand on what we know of her life in part two. This episode will focus on Shelley's marriages to the three men who would each father her daughters. In part one, I left off describing how Shelley had moved to the East Coast with her aunt to finish high school. While there, 17-year-old Shelley caught the attention of the boys at Franklin Regional High. One of those boys was Randy Rivardo. The two dated Shelley's senior year only to end their relationship after graduation in 1972. Randy remained planted in Pennsylvania, working and saving money for college. Shelley returned to Washington, where she worked as a nurse's aide at her father's nursing home. Nearing the end of the summer, Randy received a proposition from Shelley. Her dad was willing to not only hire him as part of the maintenance crew, but would also provide an apartment to him rent-free. It was an offer Randy couldn't turn down. He drove into town to find his former high school girlfriend professing her love for him to everyone. Randy was immediately welcomed into the family. Les was always at the ready to provide whatever needs Randy or Shelley may have. A wedding was planned not long after his arrival. The planning process was so abrupt, in fact, Les chose Randy's best man since he was too new to the area to have formed any close friendships. The 19-year-olds were married in February 1973. It was noticeable that none of Randy's friends or family attended the nuptials. That's because Shelley never sent them the invitations. In just one year, Randy learned how difficult life with Shelley would prove to be. The two moved into a trailer owned by Les after the wedding. Shelley hated the place and made that fact well known. When her typical tantrums didn't result in a new home, she reverted to another familiar tactic. One day, Randy came home from class to find Shelley and their home in disarray. She had a bloodied face and explained how someone broke in, raped her, and stole Randy's rifle. Naturally, Randy called the police and Les. After thorough questioning, the sheriff determined the entire scenario was fabricated and Shelley's wounds were self-inflicted. Once he left, Shelley returned to her original story, even taking the family outside to show them where the assaulter had buried the rifle. The trailer was not safe. Shelley was afraid to live there any longer. The only logical solution was to provide her with a new place to call home. Shelley's employment at her father's nursing home was on rocky ground. She suffered from severe menstrual cramps that would last the duration of each month. Because of her ailments, she often would need to leave work early. Her attendance was so sporadic and unreliable Les had no choice but to fire her. 
That was not a problem because Shelley just took a job at another family member's nursing home. The cramping and poor work ethic continued, leading to yet another termination. Officially unemployed, Shelley contributed nothing to the home. She didn't maintain the house. She didn't cook. Despite this, she continued to demand others provide for her. Les would give her money for any activities she wanted to do. He even bought her a car. The car was not exactly what Shelley had commanded he bring her. She screamed and stomped her feet. That evening, she was taken to the hospital after her family believed she overdosed on sleeping pills. After not being able to awaken her, the medical staff pumped her stomach and found a small number of aspirin. In 1974, Shelley announced her pregnancy. At the news, Randy's family came to visit, bearing gifts. This was to the opposition of Shelley. Because she did not want them there, she locked herself in her bedroom for the duration of their visit. Gifts from his family went missing to Shelley's bewilderment. Shelley was kind enough to mail clothing Randy's sister had forgotten when they returned home. Despite the box being undisturbed, the apparel had been torn to shreds. Shelley was just as surprised as anyone else and concluded a postal worker must have done it. Hopes that motherhood would improve Shelley's personality were quickly dashed. She locked Randy out of the house, so he slept in his car. She continued to spend his meager paychecks and even racked up additional debt when business owners allowed her to add to her unpaid tab. She didn't want to have to wait for Randy to share his checks, so she had her father deliver the pay directly to her. Despite his love for their daughter, Nikki, Randy could no longer endure the abuse. His parents flew him back home. Two weeks later, Shelley called begging to reconcile. She and baby Nikki then came to stay with Randy and his family. That cohabitation only lasted two weeks. Two weeks were enough for Randy's family to understand the toxicity of the marriage. Shelley and Nikki returned to Washington, and Randy filed for divorce. That didn't stop Shelley from continuing to run up bills in Randy's name. She even forged his signature and cashed in the income tax refund that would have cleared his debt. Then, suddenly, Shelley disappeared, leaving Nikki with a relative. Eventually, that relative called Lara and asked her to take Nikki. After nearly a year of Lara caring for Nikki, Shelley reappeared as abruptly as she left. Bringing Nikki back home, Shelley explained to her toddler daughter that her father and paternal grandparents abandoned them. Danny Long lived in the apartment next to Shelley. The two eventually moved into the house left for Shelley by Grandma Anna. Already pregnant with her second daughter, Shelley married Danny in June 1978 when she was 24 years old. Samantha, who went by Sammy, was born to Shelley and Danny in August 1978. Shelley insisted Nikki, also called Danny, dad. This was okay with Nikki because she loved him. Danny was good to the girls, but he was a new personality Shelley was not familiar with. Danny fought back. In fact, the couple was always fighting. Dishes were thrown. Holes were punched in walls. When Danny would leave to cool off, Shelley would load Nikki and Sammy into the car and go look for him. 
This lifestyle continued for five years. Realizing she would never be able to properly manipulate or control Danny, Shelley filed for divorce. She received financial assistance for this from Les. It was 1983, and Shelley was 29 years old. From there, Shelley moved on to her third and final husband, Dave Notek. Which brings me to the most horrific and tragic marriage of them all. Dave was born to Timberfaller Al and his wife Shirley in Pacific County, Washington. Shirley worked at an oyster cannery, then J.C. Penney. Typical of a country family in that area, the three children, Dave had one brother and one sister, often wore old, misfitting, weathered clothing. Discipline for the children was physical and harsh, but always believed to be warranted and appropriate. Dave graduated from Raymond High School in 1971. After graduation, Dave spent a year logging. From there, he enlisted in the Navy. Military life brought him to Alaska, then Hawaii, where he learned how to surf. Returning home, Dave caught the attraction of local women. With long hair and tattoos of sea life decorating his body, he was good-looking, kind, fun, and athletic. One Saturday in April 1982, Dave found himself in a random tavern called The Sore Thumb. There, Dave laid eyes on the most beautiful redhead he had ever seen. Ignoring all the other men hitting on her, Shelley approached Dave as he was working up the courage to talk to her. The two danced and eventually exchanged numbers before leaving. Perhaps an omen as to what was to come, the sore thumb burned down the following night. Dave did call Shelley, and shortly thereafter began driving to Vancouver for weekly visits. He immediately fell in love with Shelley and her two daughters. During their courtship, Shelley informed Dave she had been diagnosed with cancer. She was devastated at the grim prognosis. Dave loved her deeply and wanted to make sure Nikki and Sammy would never be left alone. Shelley and Dave married on December 28, 1987. Kathy Loreno, Shelley's best friend, served as one of the witnesses. Dave learned shortly after their wedding, as did his two predecessors, that life with Shelley would take a dramatic turn in the wrong direction. A horrific, unimaginable direction. She began to verbally insult him. He didn't work hard enough or make enough money to properly care for her and the girls. If he loved them enough, he would do more, do better. He was worthless and a poor excuse for a husband. Then Shelley turned to physically assaulting him, pushing, shoving, and slapping him. Dave never returned a blow. He dealt with the abuse by escaping to his truck, to friends' houses, or would go camping. Nikki recalled seeing Dave one time on their porch with a shotgun pointed directly at himself, clearly contemplating the ultimate escape. When asked later why he didn't just leave, Dave admitted that no one could leave Shelley. It wasn't something she allowed. As known to her family for years, Shelley was a huntress and would find you. As found in most abusive relationships, things weren't bad all the time. Shelley could be fun, sweet, and affectionate. The good times initially happened often enough to overshadow the bad. 
but eventually the good times didn't last as long, and the bad times grew worse. Oh, so much worse. Sources for this episode can be found in the show notes. I need to let you know this story is only going to get more graphic and disturbing as I bring you part three next week. Until then, stay strong. And wherever you are in your journey, always remember you, we are not alone. Find more information, register as a guest, or leave a review by going to the website one in three podcast.com. That's the number one, I N, the number three, podcast.com. Follow one in three on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at one in three podcast. To help me out, please remember to rate, review, and subscribe. One in three is a point five Pinoy production. Music written and performed by Tim Crow.